0: hello and welcome to another live edition of the 40 athletes podcast i'm your co-host jason Holzer along with my good friend jimmy hubert jimmy how you doing today man
1: doing great yourself
0: You're doing me doing well man uh you know it's been nice weather here this week uh sun's out um and you know celebrating international women's month this week or this month um uh, we actually have a pretty cool guest here she is the uh, first woman to actually coach in the nfl by the way um and she's actually the first woman running back in the nfl so besides kicker she's actually played professionally besides running back now i don't know if she's running at me i'll probably run the other direction i don't know about you
1: yeah she starts talking about doing oklahoma drills i don't know if i'm in on
0: that i might have to to back out right hey listen in my frame, man you know five eleven, one hundred and fifty. 150 oklahoma drill is not something i'm gonna get you're over on the
1: side being the punter and the kicker
0: you're actually (laughs) over there on the side right yeah getting ready to kick the football um, and you know, she actually has a. She's the author of a, of a children's series called creator fitter. Um, and she is, uh, a four time world champion and an eight time all star. So she's got a pretty, pretty incredible background and a pretty diverse background. She has her doctorate in psychology. So we're going to bring on Dr. Jen Welter to the show today. Jen, how are you doing today?
2: Guys, it's good to be here.
0: Great to Welcome. have you. So, uh, first question is like, you know how did you get into football i like, always you're interested in that and then what made you feel like you know i can break the barrier and be the first to do this because that's a that's a big step
2: yeah you know i got into football i think like most people do right it's the love of the game mm-hmm. and i didn't actually get to play until i was 22 years old so it was kind of like i had a crush on football always hoped football would notice me um And then we finally realized I was alive after I got out of college. And when I made that first football team and there really wasn't a a roadmap for women in football, um, what I promised myself is that I would step up to every challenge the game put in my way, right? Because it wasn't like I said, I'm gonna go to the NFL and here are the things that I need to do to work backwards what it was was in a sport called the final frontier for women in sports um i felt like this was a place where not only you know us playing changed the sport but also could change society through progress in the sport so for me it was a matter of okay what do we have to do next how do we figure out how to play how do we move the team forward we're fundraising for championships we're you know we're out there doing car washes to be able to afford to go to road games and taking long long bus trips and you know pulling our cars up to the to the field so we had lights a little bit longer right mm-hmm. like this is this is the real life um, you know a league of our own just happened to be in football and I knew that that's what I wanted to do right I thought being a pro was X Y and Z and I was going to treat it as a pro regardless of the fact that we weren't getting pro money. And getting my PhD was a matter of saying, okay, if there's no roadmap here and and no place that I can, quote unquote, aspire to be, then what if I marry my practical experience being one of the best in the world with, you know, this unique vantage point of also having, um, you know, like the, the psychological background? And I wanted to be a unique value proposition to the sport. I never said I'm gonna coach in the NFL or I'm gonna be the first at this. I just put my head down and did work and then as things happened, I was like, okay, um, all right, let's figure that out. Um, and actually coaching, I didn't even say that. I did say it as a player, but uh, you know, I played on the Texas Revolution, which is you know, was where I played running back that you were referring to. And then the following season, we had a new head coach, Wendell Davis. And he said, you have to coach my football team because I impressed him." And I said, no. He said, what do you mean, no? So no, 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 girls don't coach football. Like, I I don't, and you want me to go into like pro football? Like, no, I don't think I can do that. And he said, not a lot of guys are gonna give you this opportunity. You're taking this job. And in fact, when I turned it down, he took it for me and told me about it later um, and then told me I couldn't quit. So, um, you know, that to me was something that really speaks to the importance of someone else seeing you beyond gender, beyond some of those mm. we separate. He saw me as a, a football person and somebody who could make his, his team better and the work that I had done in the background was what made that feasible.
1: So Jim, let's go back though. That was like 20 or you know, 20 something years old quote, right? Later in your life, you had this passion to play football when you were young, right? but as you know, many people have limited beliefs, right? Women can't play football, right? They shouldn't play football. So how did you like go through life knowing that the limitations of you playing football and people thinking you can't, how did you stay the course and keep your mind right to stay after something when the opportunities weren't there?
2: You know, I, I think football became a backdrop of something that I really liked, but it wasn't the only thing. You know, I played, I became a multi-sport athlete, right? Like I was the captain of my soccer team two years in a row, played softball, ran track, then went to college and played rugby, um, which, you know, I had never even seen before growing up. And then all of a sudden I saw a sport that was like football meets soccer. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is it, right? Like this is, this is not what I imagined, but this is super dope and I'm going to do it. Um, and then actually got recruited for the under twenty three national team, and told I was too small, um, and so you know I think I, I don't I don't think that for me it was like I'm going to go after football anyway. But when the opportunity did present itself, um, there was no question of what I was going to do, and I I made up. Um, the I decided what I was gonna do when I got that opportunity. And that was how do I need to structure my life to be one of the best in the world? Um, and that was tough because we weren't getting paid that way, right? We weren't, you know, oh my gosh, I made it to the NFL. Now this is my whole job. Like, you know, that that didn't exist. So I had to restructure my life in terms of, you know. Running a gym and teaching classes and doing all these things so that I had the time and the environment to train myself to the level that at five foot two, 120 pounds, I could become one of the best in the world as somebody who my whole life been told I was too small. So I think there is partially for me, there's a belief in, you know, in something bigger, right? Like my book is even called Play Big because it's, you know, are you playing for something bigger than yourself? And, you know, football was the place that I found that. Um, in kind of the least likely of places, right? It was a place women weren't supposed to go. And yet here's the place where I finally found where I fit, even though I wasn't a natural fit for the sport, clearly.
0: Yeah, you go so I want you to go back to say you like play bigger, you know, and and beliefs are such a part of whether somebody succeeds or doesn't succeed. You know, what, what is it? How can we maybe, you know, like what you've done is, is negate those, those limiting beliefs to the side and get beliefs that we want to get involved in because what we believe is what we become. And as a, as a psychologist, it'd be interesting to hear, like, how do we form those beliefs that make us, that help us play big?
2: You know, for me in that it was what is bigger than just you, right? Like what what is it that you would sacrifice for, right? What is it that you would step out on a field and get literally tackled by guys? Would you do it just because? For me, that was a no. But would I do it for all of the women who had been sacrificing for so long? Yes. Would I do it because I believed we needed something drastic to change the game of football? Yes. Would I do it because I believed it was my destiny? Yes. In football, we always say like, you know, you play for something bigger, meaning football, family, and faith, right? Like I will play my role or lay out to block you. So for you, so you could score, right? Because the team is more important than just the individual, right? This isn't tennis. I'm not out on the court by myself where it's just about me. It's about each one of us sacrificing at times for what is the greater good, which is the goal for the team, right? Is it the goal for society? And is it what you have your faith you're meant to do? So if we're, you know, I always say there are, there are so many moments when I wouldn't or couldn't do something if it was just me. But if the implications were um, for all the women I played for as a representative for them, I can find more strength or more courage, and I I challenge myself a lot of the times. Like even with my girls' camps, um, you know, and creating a place and a space for the girls, it was a matter of, you know, if I don't do this, then the wrong woman was the first female to coach in the NFL because who else is going to do it, right? And so I push myself and try and remind myself that, like, for example, I say as the first the opportunity and responsibility is to ensure you're not the last. So what does that mean? What does that look like? And what are those choices on a day-to-day basis that have bigger implications than just what it might do in my own life, right? Is it a bruise on my arm or is it a door that was opened that has a bigger picture? And I think we all have to get out of our own ego, which is just, you know, what it means to me today or is it going to be uncomfortable or whatever and find that bigger thing is it your family that you'll sacrifice for that you'll grind for that you know you want to make money so that they have a nicer house they have this they have that is it your team that like you know you'll get up for a a 5 a.m workout because your team is meeting you there not because your bed doesn't feel good right like we, we have to find those things that are a little bit beyond our own own individual limits. And, and I think we all have them. Like it's, it's very true, right? Like there are days when I'd like to sleep in too. I think we all would, right? But if people are waiting there for me, am I gonna sleep in? Nah, nah, I, don't, I can't do that to them.
1: Yeah. So, so Jen, you went again from a player to a coach and you're kind of hesitant a little bit on that. So you step in that coaching role and you're coaching predominantly men, right? I mean, oh, yeah. coaching. So a woman coaching men in a men's sport. How did you go about like earning the respect to where they were like listening to you for what you had to say and they knew you were going to help them get better?
2: Um, you know, I always say that, um, a great coach listens first, right? And that doesn't just mean to a person. It means learns the situation, right? Where are we right now? Where do we want to get and how do we need to get there and each individual is at a different place in space right and they may need to hear things in a different way so how can i add value now interestingly enough when i did that with the revolution um the guys used to joke anyway and be like oh my god she's like our little coach on the sidelines because you know i mean i do have a hall of fame mind right like i was in the first women's um hall of fame class in in football and um, in the women's football hall of fame. And, you know, that is being a gold medalist and it and it is winning championships. So my football career um is kind of without question. And yet when in the men's game I was, you know, I was on practice squad for some of it. So it's like I can see this stuff, but I'm also in a five foot two body. Right. So I'd be like, oh, okay, this is what they're trying to do to you. Like you know, make sure that you do this. And they're like, oh, she's like our little coach. So I'd already established some of that credibility and the relationships were really good. So Wendell just, Wendell says, you know, the relationship those guys had with you and the respect was special. And it's like, I can teach you, you know, um, a new technique to break down film or some of the specifics of, of our system of how we coach, but, the way that they listen to you um, is really special. And that was what caught his attention. Now in the NFL for me, what I noticed is that it was really about establishing a relationship on love and trust and giving them the opportunity to see that what I said added value. I didn't have to say everything all the time, which is, You know something I've heard guys say of like young coaches not female or male but like new coaches feeling like they had to say something all the time so that you know they had you know like they were justifying their existence by taking up all the air and one of the guys interestingly Kevin mentor said you know that was my big concern and it wasn't that she was a woman it was that she was a new coach because that can be tough and he said she never did that she was just so easy that it was like, you could tell she'd done it before. Like it was so natural for her. She'd just like, she'd be like, hey, try this next time. And he's like, everything she said made me want to listen more. And so I tell people, you know, you can't yell loud enough for someone to have to listen. Even yells can be, you know, tuned out after a certain point, but anyone can lean in for a whisper. And that means making sure that they want to hear what you have to say. And in that also, I think a big thing that helped me was the interpersonal approach. I really believe that, you know, these are very real people and they should be, you know, treated and talked to as such. So if something's missing, you know, if I know what you're capable of one day and then the next day the performance is marked is very different, right? I'm not going to say, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. I'm going to say, Hey, are you all right? Like what's going on? Mm. And to care about not just the player or the performer, but actually the person, um, really helps to, to develop that coach athlete relationship of love and trust, which then means technique stuff is very easy, right? Like if I trust you to let you in on my life and let you know what's going on. And I know that you care about me as a person, it's, really not hard to make the jump that like, I need you to adjust your hand position, right? That stuff becomes really easy. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, coach, I got you. Because you know, everything that I'm saying is in your best interest. And I always make sure to frame the conversation that, that way as well. Like, hey, do you know why I'm tough on you? No, yeah. coach. because you deserve it. And mm-hmm. because it's the best way that I can possibly make you better and I'm doing you no favors, by not giving you everything that I've got to bring into your own game. Um, And I think sometimes just making the effort to connect those dots in communication um, gets lost. And um, so I try and be very intentional about those things in terms of communication.
1: Is that part of it when you talk about getting, you know, football, that's some positions aren't a glamour position. Offensive lineman, you know, it's like they get their names called or numbers when they're holding somebody or making a mistake, right? And they're not, you know, somebody gets 200 yards, the running back, they're not, you know, getting the player of the game award. So when you mention getting individuals to buy in to sacrifice for their teammates, and I know you kind of mentioned like understanding maybe what their why is, and you mm-hmm. talked about like getting them to, to earn their trust, right? You're getting to know them. What are ways that coaches are the ways that you can get a team, a collection of people to buy in, to sacrifice themselves for the greater good of the team?
2: But I think it comes with, you know, we have to have a shared vision, right? What What is our goal? Like where where do we wanna go? And how do we wanna get there as a team? How do we move? And then making sure that every player has a place in that goal, right? That is one that suits them and and it sets them up for success. I remember I was working with a cross country team that was struggling with everybody feeling a part of it, right? And it was particularly with some of the, the runners that weren't the fastest, right? Because their times may not even have counted in certain races, right? And I found out that one of those runners was a really good artist. And so um, I challenged the coach to have that runner come up with the team logo. Mm. So your contribution may not always be just in, you know, how we are literally running that day, Right but we all have a part of the identity and that identity needs to reflect us and who we are and give them ownership right what's the team what's the team slogan well if i say something corny and none of them buy into it and it doesn't mean anything it's just a slogan it it doesn't help it doesn't reinforce so really making sure that all the players feel a part of what we're doing both in terms of what needs to to be done on the field, but also in terms of what we're doing off the field, right? And are those things that we come together as, you know, family, right? We say football family, right? Am I gonna block differently for someone I love than someone I don't like? Yeah right? Am I going to just, if we were thinking off the football field, am I going to run in front of a moving 300 pound person for somebody I don't like? Probably not. Not if, not if it's not a team responsibility, right? Like on the team, I might do it. Maybe, right? Like I would, but some people wouldn't like, you've seen it many times like, "Mm, Oh gosh, did I miss? Right. And yet When your team is really humming and you all have buy-in, it's like, look, I'm going to block for you this time. And you're going to block for me next time, or you're going to score. And we're all a part of that score, which means we're all a part of that win or loss. And so it's really important to tap into everybody on your team, right? Get a feel for them, get a feel for what they're good at, what they really moves them both in the game and in life, and then see if we can't come up with a collective vision that we all have buy in for on and off the field. So we move in a certain way. We have a, you know, a certain way about us that that is a part of our identity. And it's a team identity that we all are proud of and take part in.
1: So how do you get the? You mentioned ego out of it. You got to get egos out of it. And you know, and I know, like in professional sports and any sport, you got people got egos. They're the stars, or the studs, and they act a certain way. How do you get them to understand that egos can get in the way at times of the team coming together for a common vision? And how do you work with getting egos out of it?
2: Let a quarterback
1: run a drill with no O line. Matt <laughs> Mahomes, let's go! Right. I mean, real,
2: look what happened to Mahomes in the Super Bowl when he had no offensive tackles, they got dismantled Mm -hmm. by Todd Bowles defense because they had backup tackles. So here you have the $500 million man who can't play that way because why? Because he didn't have tackles, okay? So it becomes very clear, yeah, you need this guy. Like I always say, you know, that's the beauty of football is it doesn't work if everybody looks the same, right? Everybody, you know, Big thing about Tom Brady, Tom Brady and free agency last year. I want one Tom Brady. I don't want 11. Because mm-hmm. if my offense is 11 Tom Brady's, I don't know what that looks like that we're going to win.
1: That's true.
2: Probably yeah, not. Yeah. And so sometimes the way you can check check egos also is to put them in somebody else's shoes. Mm. To let them know what it looks like. You know, I I, I play defense. I. Um, my whole women's career, right? I played offense some, but mostly as a blocker. And just because I really knew I could block and I was fast enough and I wanted to help other people in that way. But when I went and played running back, I was like, why didn't I do more of this? Because I became so much better a defender, right? And when I, you know had to play some of those other positions you really realize like oh this is this is actually pretty hard so you want to give people appreciation for what's going on around them in order to see that you really need them right like hey receiver okay yeah you're right you got all the shine can you do that if you don't get the ball running back yeah you big numbers you want to try that without a no line right like and so when you have some of those things, uh oh, <laughs> your camera. Oh my goodness. Um, start camera. That's that's bizarre. Hey, Jim, yeah. I was local.
1: gonna mention that too. My, my dad, this was back in like 1981. I was a seventh grader and we had a football team, and there was, we had this running back that he was like cocky and he was like getting on the line and whatever. So, my dad he goes over to the defense and says, Hey, we're running this play, and then he tells the offensive line, says, Don't block for him. <laughs> yeah, I noticed today the, the kid got it and he ran and they buried him. Got up, yeah. he got up and he came back to the huddle and he's sitting there and he looked at my dad. He's like, "Did you tell them not to block and tell them what we're doing?" He's like, "Yeah." He goes, "So if yeah. you want blocking, you better change your attitude." And I remember that with what you just said
2: there. Yeah, because it's it's not just you. Right? Like, I mean, it's not, you're not, you, you are executing your job, but you're doing it from a position where you're protected. Right? Like there were games when, for example, with Baker Mayfield earlier this year, like that line had a moat around that dude, right? Like, I mean, it was like, you are princess up in a tower. You better be buying them all steak dinners because no one can touch you. And yes, you're executing well as a quarterback, but you're doing it because of all of those people. And if you're not realizing that, then we have to, we have to correct that. And um, the great ones, you know, the great, great ones really do have um, an appreciation for everybody around them. And I think it's really important that if you don't have that that appreciation, you help them find it
0: yeah mm. yeah yeah well jim hey i think it's uh, time to go with uh, four questions with 40 athletes with with jen today Do- oh, is it dr, mm-hmm. dr. welter dr welter is that what you prefer to be
2: called no dr jen dr welter dr. could jen. be my dad could be my sister yeah i'll
1: tell you what i i don't come and find me because i don't want to get tackled so i'll just go doctor dr. Jen, dr. jen, dr jen dr jen
0: dr jen
1: that's what i'm going to start
0: doing Oh. So. Wait. Well, hey, so we got four questions for you, Dr. Jin. Um, the first one is this, what is the best life lesson that sports has taught you?
2: Oh gosh, I think most of my life lessons have come through sports. Um, gosh, I mean, you know, I, I go down the list, right? Like resilience is a big one. Um, and, and I say that because it's not a question of if you're gonna get hit in football, it's when, yeah. and then it's how you get back up, right? You can't lay there. You can't roll around and go, oh my goodness. Like one of the best things I ever did into my game was knowing that I was undersized, right? Um, I had to make an impression, not just between the whistles, but in between the plays, right? And that people are watching not just the tackles you make, but how you make them. And so I always challenged myself to get up before the other people. And in fact, when I tackled like somebody really big, I would be like, hey, baby, do you need a hand up? Because I'm going to be here all day. <laughs> right? Like, day. Smile. Few, baby. right. Like I would smile and then I might get back to the huddle and be like, y'all better hold me up right now. Like, right. I'm, I'm you know, I'm like leaning in on y'all like, oh, that was a big old girl right there. Right, <laughs> and, But I wouldn't let them yeah. see it. Right. I would blow kisses to people like, oh, my gosh, I love you, too, knowing that they hated me. Um, (laughs) And I also never wanted to put like my elbows on my knees or put my head down. Um, Just knowing that everything, you know, somebody was watching at all times and I would watch my opponents for their body language. and I'd be like, oh, I got you. So I never wanted to give that back to anyone. And I think that that's really important because when you set those standards for yourself, it actually creates a persona of how other people see you, view you and um, approach you as well. And I needed to be the absolute me, not anybody else. And that's probably the most important one because when I started playing football, you know, like I thought football players were big, right, it was big and tough. And, you know, when you're five, two, you're not gonna outbig anybody unless they're like <laughs> 10 year olds are getting big now. So when you try and carry yourself like you're one of those people, it's just kind of funny, right? Like kind of like people should have just patted me on the forehead. When I realized that being little was actually an advantage because they say, you know, low man or low woman wins, it changed my whole game. Like, why am I trying to play like a big person when, my my leverage is an advantage and that's when i really leaned into like not trying to outbig anybody but how like playing with that persona of this you know small feisty person who's you know helping people up and comes off as bigger but like you know i'm really outlittling people um so not trying to be someone else not trying to play somebody else's game but really finding where i could be great and play my game um, and I try and be as authentically me in situations, both on and off the field. Uh, but I needed to learn that because so I Dr. was Dr. Good. Finn,
1: Question hmm? for you on that: I know you're big in resilience and resiliency. Mm-hmm. How do you teach people how to be resilient in everyday lives, especially with what we've gone through these last, you know, year and challenges people are going through?
2: Um, I think it's a definition of self and what winning is, right? A lot of people say, like, you know, you only win one way, and the truth is, life is long, right? Like, so what is what is winning, and and who do you want to be every day, right? Like, I don't have an outcome for myself that is a win or a loss, which means the goal every day is to keep going and figure out ways to keep going, right? Like, I created a kids' book series during COVID. Was was that anything I planned on doing? No, but Was it something that I could do in a situation where, you know, all of the things I did business-wise were really in person up until that point, right? It was my girls' camps. It was speaking. um, But I knew that that was a way I could help. And so I just wanted to figure out something I could do that was proactive and positive. So to me, resilience is just a matter of realizing that life is long and any one loss is not the destination, right? Like I think we have to learn how to appreciate the journey and what that is every day, right? Like, it's not like the only day that I care about football is game day, right? It's like, I care about game day in practice and in working out and I'm winning every time I'm doing those things. And so really, I think resilience is a product of realizing that, you know, you're gonna get hit, okay. Now, how do you get back up? As opposed to focusing on, oh no, I got knocked down. Like, great, yeah, we all do, okay. And and I think too often we're just focused on the the setback instead of realizing that it might be a setup for something else.
0: Mm, I like that. Turn your setback into a setup, that's good, yeah. Um, so number two, is if you could spend time with anyone you admire in sports either passed away or still alive who would that person be and why
2: mm, i think it would be michael jordan and i'm not a basketball person so first of all most people are like oh, i want to be like mike because i want to play basketball that's not it it's the competitive spirit that i have heard of from so many people that he brings into every area of life and business, right? He's clearly an innovator and a creative thinker and performer and one who knows what greatness is. And I think there's a lot of people that I could say I wanted to learn from within football, but I think sometimes we we get a new perspective from people that are outside of our own area of greatness. Right. Because there's also an, an inherent competition or are you going to, you know, steal my playbook or, you know, some of that. And there's lots of football people that I would very micro focus on. But Emmett Smith, um, who is a good friend of mine, told me, you know, told a story about how he reached out to Mike once and asked him about like a bunch of questions. And he was like, absolutely. Come on. And that he didn't hold anything back. Like he was afraid of giving it away. He wanted to build into other people. And to me, that's, it's so refreshing um, that a true competitor would also like really want to infuse that knowledge into somebody else. And so I think he would be fascinating.
1: It's interesting you say that of uh, going to different industries or sports like Buzz Williams, he's head coach at Texas A&M basketball. And he's really into football. So he'll go study under the great football minds, coaches, and spend time with them, a week with them. And he talks about all the information they give them because he's so uh, he's so enamored by how football, how you get, like I said, these 11 individuals connected together on a field, and they all got to execute, right, for these things, perform well. So anyway, like he talks about, that's one of the things he spends the offseason studying football coaches and their minds and how they develop championship teams. So I like that. Um, Third question is, what is the best advice you ever see from a coach you've played under, coached with, been around? What's the best advice?
2: You know, Terry Glenn, who unfortunately passed away um, a couple of years ago, was with me at the Texas Revolution. And the advice he gave me going into the NFL was to be 100% authentic. He said, you know, Jen, I've been thinking a lot about you going into the NFL. And he said, if you are the same person that you were every day here with us, those guys will absolutely love you. But if you're fake in any way, they will sense it and eat you alive. And I didn't have anybody I could look at and say, I'm going to do it like her. And so he really fortified me to have the strength to go back to me in situations that I, I wasn't quite sure um, what I should do. And I really pulled on that quite a bit. And Daryl Drake, who unfortunately also passed away, but was a receivers coach with the Cardinals um, on my first day there, right? And he doesn't have to talk to me, he's a receivers coach, right? Like, But he's like, coach, come here. You know, I heard you have a PhD in psychology. I was like, "Yeah," And he said, you know, that's the best thing that you've got. He said, none of us have that. On this staff, we got a bunch of old dudes. He's like, I've been coaching longer than you've been alive. So there's going to be things about football that I know that you can't possibly know. But none of us know that. And all of these guys need that. So make sure you bring that. To every meeting, and don't be afraid to tap into it. And he told me that he had really learned that lesson um, from coaching Brandon Marshall when he was it when he was with the Bears, and you know that that's when Brandon had started to open up um, about mental health. And so, really, I think a lot of the times we have a strength, we have a voice, we have talents that in leadership, we start looking at other people and say, oh, maybe they're doing it right and I'm doing it wrong and try to like just coach like them or lead like them or be like them or play like them. And there's great lessons and you can pick up techniques. Ooh, that really worked. I like how they do that. But you can't forget yourself in the equation because then it really does come as like, you know, being cookie cutter or you may not get alternative voices in the room. And it's hard to bring you to the equation, right? Because then you may or may not be be good enough, strong enough, fast enough, whatever it is, um, smart enough. And yet if you leave yourself at the door, like what are you doing? And, um, and so I think those guys both really played a big role in encouraging me to bring all of the elements um, from my journey that would be helpful, not just thinking that a football coach was straight X's and O's and be that you. it was very
1: be, much like. It. Be you, right? Don't fake mm-hmm. it until you make it, be you. I like it, be real.
2: Well, you might have to fake it until you make it, but I think that's confidence.
1: Yeah, but right? you know, like, you, yeah, like you it. You know. but being being yourself, not trying to emulate someone else because we're all unique and different in our own way. Um, and the the last question is this, if you had one character trait or life skill, That you could have in an athlete that you're coaching what would it be
2: be coachable right just know that like and i i always try and and make sure that my athletes know that the best gift that i have for them as a coach is to make them better right and i didn't i didn't always get that as an athlete right sometimes it feels like somebody's picking on you right Oh, that wasn't good enough. I'm never good enough. And yet, no. You're not good enough. Be great. Right? Be better. Do you want to just be good enough or do you want to be excellent? Right? Larry Fitzgerald is a great example of excellence personified. Um, he is he is he pushes himself in days in ways that coaches could never hold anybody accountable to have to be as good as Larry. And um, I remember seeing, you know, after practice, and again, he's a receiver, he's not my guy, right? But he catches a hundred extra passes on the jug machine after every practice. Mm -hmm. And if you think about how long he's played, imagine how many passes that is over the course of a career. Right. And that doesn't have happened one day, one time. That's probably a commitment he made to himself. And, you know, I haven't talked to Larry in a few years, but I would bet money that even as the goat. Right. Like he is he is up there. He's still doing it today. And even more to add to that, he would call me over because he knew I had a Ph.D. Be like, coach, come talk to me as I do this. I read about X, Y, and Z in psychology. Teach me about this. Right. So he's working his craft and also expanding his mind. Right. He wanted all of that knowledge. Right. And it so impressed me because those were decisions he made. Nobody made that for him. Nobody, nobody forced him. And yet he wanted everything that you ever had. Right. Like, he wanted to be better. And so we have to push ourselves, but we also have to look that excellence is the goal. Not good enough, not okay. I always wanted people to coach. Like, I, I, as a player, wished that I would get more coaching and had to coach myself quite a bit. And so I think really framing yourself as an athlete to believe that someone who will take the time. To make you better is giving you a gift. And then you got to put that gift into action, right? Then cool. it's on you.
1: So part of that coach below you talked about is you be you have a desire to be excellent, not just be good. But the other thing you mentioned is you don't know it all. Right. Soak up the information around you, right? You never know what you can learn and who you can learn from is kind of what you're talking about.
2: Absolutely. And and reframe it as like that knowledge is a gift the work is a gift it's an investment in you those people taking the time to build into your sport you know i always say it's because you deserve it you deserve me correcting you that much because it's going to make you better right and it doesn't always feel good it definitely doesn't but imagine how good you are if you take that information right and you get it as you're catching a hundred extra passes, right? As you're putting these things into play, and so um, you know, go for excellence and realize that you you deserve it, and you deserve that in the work that you put in yourself, and in the knowledge that other people can infuse you
1: to push yourself further. And by the way, I'll let Jason take over right after this. But if you YouTube and Larry Fitzgerald coachable. And there's this youtube that pops up a video and it goes through like larry fitzgerald and talks about they do this interview series about him and his coaches and how coachable he is um and listening to every coach it's an amazing like he's coming off the field as coach what should i done here what should i done this what do i do here it's like and this guy is a all pro hall of famer so it's it's a great video and if you look it up you have kids watch i think it's a great one to to have individuals look at so
2: and that's so funny because I've never seen it, which just makes me smile because having been around him, I'm like, oh yeah. Right. Like really good. who doesn't surprise me? And he's somebody who will help anyone around him too. Right. He's not, he's not, oh, you got to figure it out. Like he is as good as you want to have. But the funny thing is, you know, we talked one time about, you know, cause Bruce Arians kind of reinvented his career a little bit, right? Moving him down into the slot and some of that. And we were laughing because I I picked up on something um, that as a defensive coach, I was like, I already know what that is. Every time you do this. And he started laughing. He's like, yeah, coach. And you're right too. He's like, but you still have to stop it. And um, and I would be like, yeah, I know, but I'm coming for you, Larry. And um, he's he would laugh and he's like, you know, coach, I never should have showed BA I could block. And I was like, yeah, but it kept you in the game a lot longer, right? Most guys, like when we talked about sacrificing for the good of others, and this is this is probably a really good way to come full circle. Most guys that are like the goat, right? Like that have caught as many passes as he has, have played as many years. The one thing that they probably wouldn't do, and we've seen a lot of receivers who won't, it's block. Yeah. And yet Larry is the most selfless blocker you have ever seen. That guy will block as hard as he can for a play to work. Right. Just as just as hard as he would run to to get a route that he was catching. Like he will motion in and come take an edge block for one of his teammates. Cause that's the guy he is. That's the guy you want you want on your team and you want to build around.
0: Well, Jen, uh, you know, thank you for, for joining us today. Uh, real quickly, you know, how can people learn more about you? What you got going with Gridiron Girls, your book? You know, where can we find you?
2: Um, my website is jenwelcher.com, at um, jwelter forty seven on Twitter, Instagram. You can find out about the kids' book series at Get Critter Fitter. Um, you can find Gridiron Girls also, and that's with three R's. So there's a little GUR in there. Um, and that was the frustration of people saying girls couldn't do it. Um, and then it's welter 47 for me.
0: Great. Well, thank you again for coming, uh, Dr. Jen. Uh I know I was a sponge today, man. Just learning so much about hey, Jimmy, next time you sell it, hey, don't be good enough, be excellent. I got you, man. So, hey, by the
1: way, we we have talked to a pioneer.
0: Pioneer. Yeah. I a mean, true, true a legend. I
1: mean, that's a legend that down row 10, 15, 20, my kids will be like, Hey, there's I've seen this. Uh my kids in football this dr jen walter oh i talked to her yeah Yeah. Yeah. the pioneer keep doing what you're doing seriously
2: i don't know it any other way guys right that's what it is this you know i think in terms of resilience i always say like the reason i've never quit is because it's not something i do it's who i am Mm -hmm. right and when you know who you are the way you move in the world might like the things you move in the world might change but the way you move doesn't
0: Man, we had to have her on as part two if she's if she's open to it because i mean there's so much more
1: dr jen pioneer walter
0: that's what it is right there she's the welterweight, weight if you will
2: so. i'm actually not heavy enough to be a welter exactly-
0: oh well that's true keep more lightweight
1: don't, don't, don't even don't get and call them women. I know with my wife, I don't call them. Well, I don't call them
2: heavyweights. I don't call them, well. You call them lightweights. High weights Look, I laugh. I I say that's God's irony. I've been punching above my weight class my whole life.
0: But it <laughs> is, is them, just,
2: it, it is spelled right, so I, I'll take that.
0: I, but dynamite does come in small packages. That's for sure. I know that. That's most Absolutely.
2: Yeah.
0: Thank you, Doctor Jin. Thanks, you got so it, guys.
2: Thanks so I'll much for care. having me. God bless.
0: Well, Jimmy, you know, I'm um, a little different spin today. You know, the reason why we do 40 athletes is simply because of this. You know, suicide is the second leading cause between 10 to 34 year olds. We have a serious issue with anxiety with kids, and we're not teaching them the skills that they need to be taught. So, this is why we created 40 athletes. So, if you're hearing this and you're interested in learning more about our 24 week program, join us online at uh, 40athletes.com and enroll in our 24 week course where we can not only educate parents, but coaches and athletes as well. Uh, Jim, that was a great day today, man. We had a heck of a guest. I so. yeah,
1: appreciate it. Bring her on. I enjoyed it. Yeah.
0: yeah it was a great time. Hopefully we can get her again sometime because I, I, there's a whole lot we can get into with her. I guarantee
1: it. So. Especially during football season if it comes back around. Maybe our Chiefs bounce back a little bit. We can talk about there that. We, we didn't right. even talk about it. She might be a Buccaneers fan, though. She might have been excited to see hey, her. Bruce. Bruce Arians like, there.
0: Yeah, Bruce that's was true. That's awesome. Maybe it's a good thing we didn't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave. I'll see you soon, have man. Have a great day. Appreciate it, man. Peace out.